As 2020 turned to 2021, we asked you for your New Year's resolutions. Listener Jessica King in Kirkwood shared one that really got us thinking. I've always been a little bit cynical about making New Year's resolutions. And after this crazy year of 2020 with a lot of ups and certainly a lot of downs, um, it's just, just sort of reaffirmed my belief that we don't really need a new year or a new week or a month or not even a new day. Every single moment that we live can be a moment of change. It can be a new beginning. So I guess for me, it's just each moment is is a new year. And that is Jessica King in Kirkwood. And if you're feeling that same sense of possibility this January or really any time, Tom Vanderbilt has some advice for you. The acclaimed author of Traffic, and you may also like, has a new book out. And in it, he makes the case that, quote, becoming a beginner is one of the most life-enhancing things you can do. The book is called Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning. And it highlights his year-long experience tackling five new skills— chess, singing, surfing, drawing, and juggling. And Tom Vanderbilt joins us today in advance of his Facebook Live event with the St. Louis County Library on Monday. So, Tom, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Great to be here. So what got you started on this path of wanting to tackle these new skills? Well, it was about, uh, let's say, seven years ago. My daughter was about four, and we were playing a game of checkers in a library Uh, while we're on vacation and there was a chessboard nearby and she looked at that and you know chessboard is sort of more interesting than a checkers board those nice little horses as she called them and kings (laughs) and queens and she said you know what is that i said chess and she's like can we play that and i was like um yeah we could except i don't actually know how to play chess uh so i you know (laughs) this i immediately you know sort of went online the way one does nowadays and tried to learn the game and chess is a very very easy to learn, I should say, but also very complex. It, it gets very complex very quickly. So a- after trying to take a crack at it myself, I got in over my head and I felt, well, maybe a beginner teaching a beginner isn't the best thing to do here. So I hired a coach. And I did this for my daughter's sake because I was sort of obsessed with the idea of, of chess being a you know good way to make her smarter and better at school and all those things. Uh, <laughs> but then I, th- I thought, you know, what why should I just sit there on the sidelines and pay for this lesson when I also want to learn this thing? So from the from the beginning, I joined the lessons, and this was a little bit unusual for the, the coach, but he was like, sure, if you want to, why not? And so I just thought this was a funny thing. You have two different beginners separated by 40 years of age trying to learn this new thing. How's that going to work out? And the whole experience was was so eye-opening to me that I then started to think about, you know, why have I stopped learning new skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, as a journalist, I, I learn a lot of new information all the time, but I'd kind of given up on the idea of these more substantive skills. And I think one of the main reasons, apart from, you know, lack of time and, and things like that, that we all suffer from, was, was fear, the fear of, of being bad. And, and you know, why should I take on something that I'm not going to be good at, mm-hmm. at this stage in life, when I could just kind of coast along on those things I felt comfortable with? And so you sort of forced yourself. You're you're not going to just sit on the sidelines anymore. You're going to force yourself to do things that you're genuinely bad at. Yeah, and I think, you know, anyone who's a parent out there has gone through this. You know, we, we are sort of obsessed with our kids learning things. We, we try to model being, a, you know, the idea of learning to them. At the same time, though, I thought, well, I'm not being a very good model because I'm my daughter's not really seeing me learning anything new. I'm I'm teaching her things like how to ride a bike, how to tie her shoes, things like that. But 
has she seen me actually struggle with learning something new? And, we, you know, what, I think that's a very interesting thing that a lot of us don't go through. And there's a, a great study that I refer to in the book in which uh, infants in this experiment were shown, there was an adult model who was trying to put together some sort of, you know, puzzle, kind of a, it's hard to explain, but sort of a, like a box type thing. Mm-hmm. And some of the subjects got it right away. Other people struggled with putting it together on purpose. So the, the, the kids who had seen the adults struggling with this task actually tried harder themselves to do it. The ones who just saw the adults get it in a hurry sort of just gave up because mm-hmm. they weren't, you know, sort of, they were almost as if watching the adults struggle, they were more willing, they, they understood that learning is not often easy and were had a little bit more, you know, resilience and, and, and not resilience, but, you know, a little bit more grit and termination and trying to tackle that themselves. Hmm. Well, one of the things I was intrigued about as you described your journey and your daughter's journey with chess is that it was initially easier for her, even though you're this much more educated, you know, you're a person with a lot of life experience, that actually made it harder for you. Why is that? Yeah, and this is why, you know, we, we have this idea that children are such natural learners and, and because they really are. They, they have these brains that are just bursting with, with synapses, these neural connections that have yet to be sort of connected and, and forged and pruned. Their, their minds are just sponges. And they also, I should say, have a lot of time to do nothing but learn mm-hmm. and a very encouraging audience of people around them to support them in that journey. Adults you know, don't have those things, uh, time or that encouragement quite as much. And as for our brains, yeah, I mean, the, people talk about two types of intelligence, fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence. And fluid is this sort of rapid fire, solving puzzles, you know, spotting opportunities on a chessboard, for example, in the moment very quickly. Adults tend to have more of that crystallized knowledge, which is, you know, sort of wisdom and the things that we've, the memories of the things we've learned over time and maybe even something like metacognition, which is the, you know, how we know what we know. So, you know, my, my daughter would, would beat me, especially in the, the faster sort of uh, chess games. Whereas I, you know, had a bit more patience. I could think about strategy a little bit more. I, I had had a whole lifetime of knowing how to play games and how to, you know, maybe a little psychological tr- tricks, things like that. But <laughs> uh, it's, it's a strange thing to play against kids, uh, like an eight-year-old in a chess tournament, as I have done. And when you lose to a kid, I mean, it's a funny thing that happens. You think, well, oh, that kid's, he's so amazing. He, he, he's a genius, I bet. And then when I lose to an adult, suddenly I think, well, yeah, that was just a bad luck in that game. I could, I could have beat that person. So we, we, we tend to ascribe, you know, this, this natural genius to kids. But I, I want to, you know, sort of put it out there that adults have just every bit as much capacity to learn as a child does. It's going to take us a little bit more work, especially if we're a novice at something, but I met a lot of people over the course of this experience that were in their 70s, in their 80s, learning to do things like open water swim in the ocean or juggle five balls. Uh, The list goes on. So, you know, the the message is, you know, just don't, please do not give up no matter what age you are. Yeah, and you make a great case in this book that it's not just good to sort of have this skill in one's repertoire, that it actually really can can change your life in all sorts of good ways to force yourself to learn these new skills. Uh, give me an example of that. What does it do to somebody to, to force yourself to become an open water swimmer at 70, for example? <laughs> it sounds terrible, frankly. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it really just, number one, it expands your, your, your world and your horizons. I mean, you've suddenly changed almost literally overnight. You've become an open water swimmer, which, you know, uh, two weeks ago you couldn't say. Uh, you know, I think another thing it does is 
it connects you with other people in the world in a way that often becomes more difficult as you get older. And especially for, for men, there's been research about this that males often have a harder time making new friendships uh, later on in life. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, for someone like myself who works at, at home, even before the pandemic, uh, you know, I don't have like work colleagues that I can sort of socialize with. So that, that was of particular interest to me, meeting new people from different walks of life, all coming together over an activity like singing. And I mean, I could go on and on about, about the benefits of, of something like singing, but, you know, it's it's clear what it does for both your, your health, your physical health, stress reduction, lowering blood pressure, working on your breathing, which has all kinds of health benefits, and then just the emotional benefits uh, are, you know, it's, it's no surprise that choir singing, for example, has been used as a therapeutic instrument for all sorts of groups of, of at-risk people because, you know, there's just something sort of magical in that in that experience of coming together, working in harmony with other people to produce this beautiful sound. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the singing is something that, that has really stuck with you. Of, of all the things that you learned, is that the one that you may stick with in life? For sure. I mean, I think I have tried to stick with, with all of them because they were things I really genuinely wanted to do. But I, I, would, I would put it out there that, you know, one, one great thing to, uh, you know, learn more effectively is just to find something that's easy. I don't, I don't mean mm-hmm. easy in terms of, of skill, but just easy to work into your life. Uh, you know, surfing is wonderful, but number one, the conditions have to be right at the ocean. <laughs> number two, I have to have time in my schedule, which is not always possible. I, I would love to just go surfing this afternoon, but you know, like many people, I have work to do. So singing, however, as, as a lot of you probably already do out there, you can do it in the shower, in your car, you can do it in the kitchen as you cook, which my wife and daughter get a little bit tired of, to be honest. But you know, it's just <laughs> something that you can practice. You can practice anywhere. There's no excuse not to sing. You can do scales. You can sing along to the radio. There's uh, so, and I, I do think it, it of all the things. Now that you mention it, probably it probably does have the most sort of emotional charge, and it, it just makes you feel. Good. I, my mm-hmm. choir practice it was on a Monday night, you know, potentially the dreariest night of the week. It could be raining, cold, I have a terrible week ahead of me, but I would leave that rehearsal just on such a literal positive up note that I, I really almost couldn't believe it. Hmm. Now, I imagine that choir is not currently singing together because of the pandemic, but once all this is over, do you think you'll, you'll continue to be a choir member? Absolutely, yeah. It, it, it's sort of a cruel cosmic joke, really, that it turns out that choir singing of of all the activities that humans do is one of the most viral, super spreading events. And and there were some actual outbreaks linked to choirs that continued to practice. And, you know, obviously, that was not a good idea. But I can understand that impulse to want to continue to gather because that sort of shows how meaningful it was to those groups. And there's been some effort, including with my own choir, to do this online. Uh, it doesn't quite work the same, you know, for some mm. technical challenges and just that experience of of being next to warm bodies and, and re- literally exchanging your breath, which, you know, I, I really cannot wait for the day when we can do that again safely. And even though I'm not, I've moved, I've moved slightly farther away, but I made sure I was still within easy commuting distance to my, my choir rehearsals hmm. once 
once COVID is over. So it's, it's interesting. We ended up talking about danger in the context of choirs. That says something about the world we're in now. But when I, somebody in my 40s, think about learning new skills, think about the idea of surfing, I'm physically terrified because it's so much harder after you've broken a bone when you're older. Things just take longer to heal. Your body isn't as resilient as a child's body. Were you scared going into this that, yeah, I mean, I could catch a bad wave and, and this could end badly for me? Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not, you know, sort of uh, these these soft, uh, fat ridden bodies, fat riddled bodies that infants have. That are, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're, like, they're bouncy they when they're own, young. <laughs> yeah, they have their own sort of airbags, basically. They can, they can take, they have a lot of crash protection built in. But it, it was something that there, there was a certain, it's intimidating just to wander into an ocean where even a three foot wave looks very big when you're standing there because it actually, it could be about eight or nine feet high, depending on the actual water level. So that was intimidating. And it became a lot more intimidating after I had my first major incident, which was I was, I was sort of driven over the, the ledge of, of the wave, and I fell on my head on the and pushed into the ocean floor, oh. actually suffered a bit of uh, vertebral damage, which, which luckily, you know, was not so catastrophic, uh, definitely required a little bit of, of physical therapy. But more importantly, it, it just put that fear into me. And I really had to work to sort of overcome that. I mean, I, technically, I knew what I had done wrong, but and I could try to avoid that situation in the, in the future. But it was still lurking in, in the back of my head. And, and luckily, again, it wasn't catastrophic. But it, it's... It, it seems know, like surfing, surfing might not be for all of us. Is, is that fair to say that maybe we could all learn to sing, but, but maybe some of us aren't meant to be out there doing, doing certain extreme sports? I don't know. I mean, I, I, had, I had an unlucky moment. I, I don't want to you know, position surfing as this incredibly dangerous thing. It, it, it can be. It does have its risks. Often the risk is just from other people and, mm-hmm. and their surfboards. I mean, that's sort of the thing you have to look out for but you know it, the, you, you can you can control that risk and i will say there is nothing quite like sitting on a, on a surfboard in the ocean 45 minutes from manhattan mm-hmm. you know this dense urban environment suddenly you see a pod of dolphins swimming near you and and you're sort of thinking you're almost having an out of body experience at how amazing that is so i, I think it is worth a, a little bit of risk but i mean physically there are, there are hurdles, but it brings up a point that I think for a lot of us, the mental hurdles are really much more of an issue when it comes to learning something new. And this happened even with something like singing, where I would struggle in the beginning to hit certain notes that were a bit high for me. Mm-hmm. And what would happen is my teacher would, would sort of notice this as my, my whole body would tense up as I was approaching this note. And I would, I would start to crane my neck upward, thinking, you know, like mentally reinforcing this idea that I have to get high all of which was incredibly counterproductive for producing that note. So she had me do something funny, which was to, as I I was about to hit the note, to actually dip my knees down and bend down and sort of get away from that notion of of thinking of it as the high note. And you know what? It actually worked amazingly well. I I sort of stopped thinking about it because these were notes that I was actually able to access in everyday speech. There's just something about singing that puts that fear into us. And hmm. there's, there's some psychologists did a great study. They were trying to study embarrassment. And how do you produce an embarrassing condition in people? How do you make people embarrassed on command? They actually had them try to sing something live. 
for most of us, it's a very challenging. I I think that would do it for me right there, uh, yeah. (laughs) But you were able to to push past that. I mean, now if we asked you to sing, now I'm not going to do that, but if we asked you to sing, would that embarrassment be gone? Actually, I I don't think so. (laughs) Maybe I'm not. um, It it would probably involve pushing through to some whole other level of you know maybe if, if my if my job were were to be a singer and I, I, I sort of needed this professional but I, I still you know I, I'm willing to admit that I'm still a little bit you know sheepish about it and uh, it one thing that's great about a choir is that you have a little bit of you know you, you can you're not doing a solo you, you can sort of find some comfort and cover in in your choir mates but um, but it is it is an incredibly you know sort of exposing your vulnerability that this this process i mean when you're and a lot of us you know again who are who are parents experience this moment when we have a very young child a baby and, and you're you're singing lullabies to your child and, and for me this was an incredibly powerful moment that reconnected me with with singing and and but i was you know it was just me and her uh, there wasn't an audience there and uh so it, it's just another thing that that we do have to get over and it's incredibly natural and there's no reason to think that there's something you know wrong with you it's 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 a hard thing to do mm-hmm. and all of these things are hard but it sounds like you just you really got great benefit from pushing yourself and and learning th- these new things what is the thought you'd want to leave our listeners with obviously we want to encourage people to <clears throat> join your facebook live event that's this coming monday at 7 p.m through the st louis county library but if people aren't able to join you for that um what's the takeaway you'd want them to have from this experience you had of learning these new things as an adult? I mean, one thing is that, you know, that we, we hear so much these days about, you know, sort of being the best at something, being the most productive. We, we hear about the 10,000 hours rule of becoming an expert in something. And, and that, you know, none of us have 10,000 hours to do anything these days, you know. So I, my, my quest was, what could we walk away with if we, if we put in maybe 100 hours? W- would that even be worth it? to not be amazing at something. It's not to say I'm not working toward getting better, but I found that I really began to experience benefits right away. I mean, it, mm. something simple like like juggling, it sounds sort of ridiculous, but to juggle three balls, it takes just a little bit of work. Not It's not that hard of a thing. But the moment you can do it, you know, go into a crowded room and ask how many people here can juggle three balls, and not that many hands will go up. It's, it's a funny thing. So the, the benefits... Of being a beginner, they, they they kick in right away, and you, you sort of steeply ascend the learning curve. And so I would just encourage people not to get hung up so much on goals about you know I'm going to conquer this skill, and really just do it for sort of the the journey and pay attention to what's happening along the way, and don't get stressed about being bad. It's okay to be bad. You'll get better. Uh, it's okay if you're not amazing. There, there's benefits you can have even if you're not uh, an expert. Well, Tom Vanderbilt, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. And Tom's book is called Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning. You can join him on Facebook Live if you go to facebook.com slash H-E-C-T-V. That's 7 p.m. this coming Monday um, in association with the St. Louis County Library. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Evie Hemphill, Lara Hampton, Emily Woodbury, and Alex Hoyer. The audio engineer is Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.